Well, it's great to see you this week. I hope that you're preparing well for this Christmas season. I was in Cincinnati yesterday um, buying a present for my wife. She was present. So all things will be well on Christmas Day. Nothing, nothing worse than buying the present that nobody wants. But I do hope that you're all um, enjoying and planning and celebrating in this season. Last night we had the staff and elders together at uh, our home uh, down there in Oakwood, and um, we slayed the fatted calf, welcomed home the prodigals, and uh, had a wonderful evening of celebration. And we played the American present game, which is where each person has a present whether they achieve anything or not. In England, the present game is kind of like a combination of Christmas and all-in wrestling, where you only get the present if you win. But um, maybe that's the difference. I don't know. I've always wondered why the NFL doesn't have any, um, any way of actually falling out of the league. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 that's right. The Premier League, which is the English soccer league, of course, you know, you have to get promoted to it. And if, you, if you're in the bottom three, you're out. So, you know. Anyway, it's got nothing to do with Christmas. I just thought I'd just share that little bit of news with you today. Today, we're going to look at the third title of our great Messiah King. The third title, the titles that are emblazoned on the throne of the king of the world. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. And as we have looked at these titles, so we begun to allow the Lord to address us in fresh ways and in deeper things. Let me read to you again from the verses in Isaiah chapter 9. I'll begin from verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So we've looked at Wonderful Counselor, we've looked at Mighty God today, it's Everlasting Father, and of course, as Morgan so helpfully and as always dramatically presented to us, there is this kind of tension, isn't there? How can the Son of God be an Everlasting Father? Well, what we have to do is we have to place each of these things in the context in which they were originally spoken. 
Yes, a son will be born. Yes, he will be called Emmanuel. Yes, he will be the king, not only of Israel, but of the entire world. And a king is supposed to function as a counselor. The king is supposed to bring us into the presence of mighty God. And the king is to provide for us and protect us, to bless us as a father. And so the king, the Messiah as king, is to be a father to his people. And as such, he is to be the provider, be the protector, be the blesser of his people. That's why, that's why the son who will be born to be king is the everlasting father. And again, as Morgan intimated, Jesus makes it clear that it's not only a royal epithet, but it is actually something that gets behind the curtain of mystery. There is a mystery, of course, that we will always bump up against as we, as we consider and reflect upon who God is and how he manifests himself in three persons, though one God. There is the great mystery of the universe. No one is able to penetrate that mystery, but we are able to proclaim it. Jesus, at the Last Supper, is speaking with his disciples. And in John chapter 14, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Jesus and the Father are one. The Father lives, manifests himself in Jesus, reveals his loving, compassionate, kind heart. In Jesus, the power of the Father is demonstrated in miracles. And because Jesus, the Son of God, returning to heaven, will send upon us his precious Holy Spirit, we will live out the life of the Trinity here on earth. The Father, Son, revealed in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, will demonstrate that he is the same God yesterday, today, and forever, and will continue his work in and through us. 
Is everybody here? Are we a year? Okay, good. I just was checking there for a minute. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Aiden's with me every step of the way. All right. So, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, next week, Prince of Peace. How do we get at all of this? How do we understand it? How does it, how does it come together? Well, of course, there is a connection between each of these titles, each of these epithets. There is a way of understanding how they might connect in our minds. And I want to give you just a couple of examples of the way in which each follows and builds on the other. This last few weeks, I've been attempting to share with you the way in which God engages with me as a wonderful counselor. And as he does that, he, he engages me with questions that are life-altering, that are life-defining. Like all good counselors, he asks questions. And as he asks questions, so I find, and I know that many of you have discovered the same thing, I find that the surface layers of my own independence and self-orientation are stripped away. And I look at the brokenness beneath. And the wonderful counselor gets me to that place, not so that I feel hopeless, but so that his hope can fill what would be hopeless. So that his healing can heal that which would remain unwhole, broken and frail. The wonderful counselor reveals what's within. And then, of course, we discover that the mighty God reveals what it is that's beneath. The wonderful counselor, of course, exposes what's within, but the mighty God reveals what's underneath what's within. And what is underneath? Underneath are the everlasting arms. Underneath is the power that changes the universe. Underneath is the power that raised Jesus from the dead inside you as you bow the knee, as you submit and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. The power of the resurrection comes to you and you are born again. And in that new birth, you discover that it's not just a one-time reality, but it is a present reality, a continuous experience. It is the Lord continuing to reveal his power in us. But how, how would we go further than that? Surely that's enough. It's enough to have the reality of our life, the frailty, the weakness, the brokenness of our life exposed and to discover that that's not the end of us, that underneath that there is power. But God continues with his revelation. Because you see, he wants us to learn how to wield 
the power. And the only way he can do that is to reveal that as mighty God, he's our everlasting father. You're there thinking, I don't, I don't know whether I get the connection. I promise you, you will. Listen carefully. Let me give you a couple of examples. Paul on the road to Damascus, still called Saul, pursuing Christians to their death, persecuting the early church. He encounters an enormously bright light that knocks him from his horse to the ground. And the wonderful counselor says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And now, I'll reveal to you the mighty God. You will be blind for a time. And you will grope around seeking others to lead you. And so it was. But the mighty God didn't leave it there. Because he spoke to a man in Damascus called Ananias. Ananias, I want you to go and pray for Saul. He's praying and fasting. He's waiting for you. I've revealed that he will receive you. But Lord, he persecutes people like me. Ananias, this is God speaking. Go and do what I tell you to do. This man will be an instrument to change the world. Ananias goes in the knowledge that the wonderful counselor has spoken to him, that the mighty God surrounds him. But his first word is to articulate to the desperate Saul that the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, is his everlasting father because the first word from his mouth is this, brother. Brother. Brother? Brother. Receive your sight. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And be at peace. God has chosen you. Wow, this kind of works, doesn't it? It seems as though it's flowing together. The other great conversion story, of course, in the New Testament is the conversion of Peter when he already was a disciple. Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi in the location of a place that was called 
the gates of Hades. The temple once dedicated to the ancient pagan gods had been rededicated to the god Pan by the Greeks and now was dedicated to Augustus, the first of the great emperors. It stood in front of a cave and inside that cave they threw their sacrifices onto the rocks to be broken beneath and they were called the gates of hell now representing the power of Rome. Jesus would say, I'm building my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. But before he said that, he asked the question of the wonderful counselor. Who do people say I am? Do you hear it? Do you hear the counselor? Who do people say I am? Well, some say one of the prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Some say John the Baptist, but you still got a head, so you can't be him. What about you? says the wonderful counselor. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ. That means the anointed king of Israel. You are the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. My Father revealed my name to you. I am the Christ. I am the Son. And if the Father has revealed my name to you, it's because we share the same name. We must be the same family. My Father must be your Father. My name must be your name. My name is the rock, the great rock, Petra. You, your pebbles, your little rock, Petros, the diminutive of the word. You're my little brother, and the Father has revealed it. The wonderful counselor is, of course, the Son of God, the mighty God. And that mighty God has revealed the sonship of Simon, son of Jonah, who will never be known by that name again. 
And so here is the clue. When you come to the counsellor, the counsellor asks you all of the important questions. And of course, in those questions, you reveal who you are. And in revealing who you are, you discover that you're not alone, that underneath all of the brokenness, all of the need, all of the sin and hopelessness is a mighty God who will not leave you. And he says, I'm not just the mighty God. I'm your father. And I give you my name. Your identity is tied up with me. Your name is my name. And when you use my name, you use all of the authority of a representative of the family because you've been called and made part of the family by me. The way that Jesus pictured that was that he would put the key to the family home into the hands of Peter. Here are the keys of the kingdom. Here are the keys of the kingdom, newfound brother. You bear the family name, so you get access to the family resources, and this key opens every door in the kingdom. And what you open will be opened, and what you close will be closed. And you think, wow, that sounds amazing. How would that work? Well, Peter, just a little while later, not more than a year later, he's going into the temple. There's a, there's a beggar who's been crippled from birth. He's asking for gold, for silver. He says, silver and gold, I don't have any of that, but what I have, I give to you. I have the name of Jesus. I have the family name. I carry the keys to the family resources in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. Do you hear it? The Father has given Peter his name, and the name is the name of Jesus. It's not a magical formula. It's our identity. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we're praying in the name of our family. We're praying in our identity that's been given to us by the wonderful counselor, by the mighty God, who is our everlasting father. So how does it work? Well, last week we looked at a passage in Ephesians, and uh, I want to go back there because I think it'll help us. It says this in Ephesians chapter 1, 
And um, I'm going to start reading from verse 13, I think. Some of these, um, some of these sentences in, um, in Ephesians chapter 1 are the longest sentences written in the history of humanity. So when your lips are blue and you still haven't breathed at the end of the sentence, you're kind of thinking, stop! Verse 13, and you also. Okay, just nudge your neighbor. Nudge your neighbor. Now go on, nudge them. Nudge your neighbor and whisper in their ear, that means you. <laughs> Sally hasn't had anyone nudge her. Could you go and nudge her, please? Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Yes, that's great. I like social distancing, but you know, it can go. You miss out on some things. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, Paul has in mind a particular picture. Ephesus is, of course, a city in Asia Minor. It has one of the great ports of the world, one of the great harbors of the world. There, in this, in this port that is constantly engaging in trade day and night, there are packages and cargoes awaiting their, their delivery and their shipment. And on each piece of cargo, there is a mark in wax made indelibly with the signet ring of the person who owns the goods. It is, it is a sfragizo, a sfragizo. Try that. Say that to somebody next to you. Sfragizo. You've got to be able to r the r. Sfragizo. On this package, in the wax seal that will not be broken until the owner takes delivery, is the name of the one who owns it. The Holy Spirit has been given to you. And it's as though God has removed his signet ring and pressed his name into the soft wax of your personhood. You're indelibly marked. You are his and no others. Alongside that, there is a bill of sale that says this has been purchased with a price. And that price has been deposited. That price has been guaranteed and has already been given. It has already 
been settled. There is a deposit on the final inheritance. And that deposit is also the Holy Spirit. And so, as you sit here today, and you're considering the ways in which God has revealed your heart and has exposed your frailty and your need of Him, and in your need of Him, you've discovered that His presence is within you, that the wonderful counselor has not just done the job of exposing what you need, but he's provided everything you need by his presence, the mighty God within. That mighty God reveals himself as your everlasting father. In other words, you've been claimed, you've been named, you've been paid for. And it guarantees, it guarantees your future. There is an inheritance that is yours in Christ. And the way that Paul puts this is so dynamic and so amazing that the people that he was speaking to, no doubt like you and I, were struggling to comprehend. And so he says this in verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He's praying that we see it. He's praying that we grasp it. He's praying that we understand it. Yes, we're waiting for the day when all is completed. Yes, we're waiting for the day when we can declare the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, not as a baby but as a glorious king. Of course, we're waiting for that day. But between now and then, we bear his name. Between now and then, we carry his power. Between now and then, the connection between his name and his power is made in the authority you carry. His name is his authority. And his authority makes it possible for you to access his power. His name is your authority. And your authority means that you can access his power. We have so much more authority than we ever live with. We have so much more authority than we ever exercise. We have so much more authority than we ever imagine or know. You have authority. You have authority. It's not the final culmination, the consummation of all things. Of course it isn't. Otherwise the world would be an entirely different place. But you have authority. You have so much more 
than you ever imagined. You have authority over your anxiety. You have it. Has it gone for good? No, that day will come. But right now, you have authority over anxiety. The anxiety that's in the atmosphere all the time. The anxiety that you breathe when you're at the store. The anxiety that you recognize when you're at the gas station. The anxiety that's around you all the time. That kind of permeates and, and penetrates all things. You have authority over it. You can say, that's not mine. That's not for me. I have something else. I have a different destination. I have a hope in this world. And God has opened my eyes to help me see the hope. And it may be, it may be as it has been for me, that you have to bow the knee for who knows how long. I can remember mornings when I spent so long grasping the authority, taking it to myself. But you know what? It's there. It really is. It's a solid thing. It's a real thing. It's a substantial reality. You can have authority because you do bear the name and the name has been given. It's not a name that you've somehow conjured up for yourself. It's a name that's been given to you by the mighty God. And that mighty God, in giving you his name, gave you his name for a purpose, to give you the confidence to stand in his authority. You have authority over your sickness. You say, wait a minute. People get sick and die all the time. I know. And some people get sick and die, and the sickness has authority over them. And some people get sick and die, and it never claimed their life once. You see, the renewing of all things is yet to come. When God rolls up the sky like a blanket, when God creates a new heaven and a new earth, when God takes the seed of this body and causes it to be born again as a new body in the resurrected world, those days have not come. And the brokenness of the world and the decline of all things is all around us. But it doesn't have authority over the children of God. You don't have to buy into that. It's not your identity. Your identity, my identity, is beyond those things, is above those things, is greater than those things. I've been doing this job now for a whole generation. I've visited hundreds of people in hospital. I've prayed for thousands of people who are sick. I've been blessed to see so many people healed, restored, delivered, forgiven. But many people die of the sickness that they have because, of course, all of us 
are subject to decay. Because this is the old world and not the new. But it's amazing the difference between the ones who recognize their identity, who carry their authority, because the sickness never holds them. There's such a difference. There's such a difference than being sick and the sickness claiming you. There's such a difference. There's a difference of having a pain and the pain capturing you. Yes, you may have to bow the knee. Yes, you may have to pray. But the authority is real. The authority is true. And the things of this world do not need to claim you as their own. Because you've been claimed by another. You've been given a name by another. The mighty God is your everlasting Father. And he has given you his name. And that name means you have his authority. Isn't that amazing? So what is it today? What is it today that presses in on your life? What is it today that you need to lock up and say, no? And what is it today that you need to open up and say, yes? What, what devastation does the enemy of your soul want to bring to you as he continues his work of stealing, of killing, and destroying what is it that you today need to say no to? What is it that needs to be locked up with those keys that have been put in your hands? What is it that needs to be opened today? What hope needs to be birthed again in your heart? What hope needs to stir again in your mind? What authority today needs to be taken? Is it something in your body? that seeks to claim you. I'm going for an operation in, um, in March. They're finally going to fix my ankle that um, hasn't been there for about 30 years. You know, you play lots of sports and then you don't have joints. Well, it's part of the old thing. And every day it's kind of there and you just think... Has it got me? I don't think so. Does it define me? Now, I'm a bloody-minded individual. So some of that I do in my own strength, unfortunately. But God is the strength. God has given me a name. God has given me an authority that says... The things that press in on me, that want to claim me, do not have authority to do that. What is it in your body today that's seeking authority over you, that's looking to claim you? What is it today 
in your memories, in your past? What is it today that seeks to overshadow you and claim you today? What sadness? What loss? What old wound seeks to claim you today? What is it in your relationships that feels strained and broken and stretched and torn that seek to claim you today, to change your day, to ruin your day, to force you into a corner? What is it? What in your relationships seek to claim you today, to have authority over you today? What is it? What in the workplace, what in the wider family, what in your story seeks to claim you today? There is one who is greater who has claimed you. He's given you a name. He's given you an authority, and you can stand in that authority today. Will they come back? Sure. Will they come back forever? No, because there is a day when everything's changed. But between now and then, we have a hope. Between now and then, we have an authority. Between now and then... We can claim the powers of the coming kingdom. And we can stand in the authority of the name that he's placed on us.